about people who, who are different from the way things used to be. You know, I, I think about the changes that I've seen in my lifetime and the differences. Um, I, I had this friend when I was growing up. His name was Josh Kate, And he was a guy that if, if he, he was born in the wrong generation, he, he needed to be born in the 1970s because he totally embraced the culture of the 1970s. Um, and he was the only person in the whole high school that did that. He was... I came from a town the size of Baker. There was one kid named Josh and his girlfriend. Out of everybody, he says, "This I'm going to look different because I like it. I just was born in the wrong generation, and I'm going to be different. I'm not trying to make a fashion statement. I just like to be different. I just like to look uh, like that culture of the 70s. Some people try to be different. They, they, they'll do whatever it takes to be different. If, uh, they'll, they'll get the piercings. They'll wear the funky tattoos. They'll, they'll do whatever it takes to stand out to be different different. Uh, and a lot of that is totally fine. If people want to be different, I have no problem with that. Um, sometimes differences just happen to come because of generations. I think about the difference between my generation and my, my kids' generation. The music that we listen to. Uh, Christian music, but they like that, that heavy, hard rock kinds of things. Uh, Leslie and I like that country style of music and a little bit of that hard rock kind of stuff, but uh, there's differences in generations. And uh, you think about the things that they enjoy doing. Um, I was not, we have a switch. Um, actually, Scott, I'm going to see if <laughs> Noah, if you can help Noah, okay, to, to hook up the switch for our, our uh, uh, youth group Christmas party. Me, I'm like, I really, I, we play Pac-Man, you know, and that's, that's about the level that I get interested in. It's just not really my thing, but my kids, they, they got these games, and they can sit there, and they can play for hours upon hours. And it's kind of like a generation gap between me and them. But, you know, sometimes those differences come in handy. Uh, like I was just mentioning, Noah wanting to do something for the youth group with this, the Nintendo Switch. But, you know, uh, the, way, the way that I would describe my relationship with Noah is if you've ever seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, has anybody seen that? You have this kid who's trying to invent all these things. He's very com computer-minded. He's trying to, to make it rain meatballs. And then there's this huge problem that develops and he's trying to save the world. Well, he has this dad who, he's, who he needs him to just download something to his son on the phone. And that's how Noah describes me. Because his dad has absolutely no clue what he's doing when it comes to the computer. Now, I look like I have a lot going for me. I, you, you probably look and say, well, you send out those sermon snippets. You put these PowerPoint things together. Uh, but really, I have no ability whatsoever in my soul. I have no interest. I have no abilities. But Noah does. And so differences can be re really good. My kids play music, and I don't play music. So differences through generations are a good thing. Some people try to be different uh, because they want to erase their family name. What my family name was in school, I want to make it different because I didn't like what that was. But whatever differences that people have, whatever differences that you look around here and say, I'm not like that person. I don't look like that person. We don't have the same kind of hobbies. It's okay. It's okay to be different. But there, with as much as people try to be different, my friend Josh who tried to look different, or the person with the, the 14 earrings and the big hoop ears, you know, that wants to just stand out to be different, there's some things that we just can't get away from being different. There are some things that we all have in common no matter what. It doesn't matter whether somebody's a slave or somebody's the slave owner. The, the person's the king living in a palace or someone who's the peasant that's trying to find something to eat. The athletic person versus the unathletic person. There's something that everybody all has in common. And we're going to be looking at two different things today that everybody has in common. The first one 
is that all pass away. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, how much effort you put into it. The first thing we see today is that all pass away. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Solomon, he's on his quest to kind of determine what really matters. And he's, we, we already know at the end of the book, he's decided what really matters. And he's kind of working through, these are the steps that kind of got me to be there to, to decide what really matters. So first thing he's saying today is that we all have the same common outcome, they all have common fate, and that we all pass away. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. He says, Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks around in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. Well, what then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered, and days to come both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. He, he starts to compare two different people. He starts to compare kind of himself, because Solomon is a very wise person. He has written 3,000 proverbs. You, you read a lot of those in the book, of, the book of Proverbs. And he has more wisdom than anybody before him, as God has granted that to him. And he's starting to look at his life and say, you know what, I have acquired all this wisdom. I'm wiser than anybody else, but look, I have the same fate. I have the same outcome. I have the same uh, ending to my life as a person who has not tried as, as I have. And as he compares them, he starts, he starts with verse 14a. He says, the wise man has eyes in his head, which he's, obviously the fool can have eyes in his head as well. There, there are people out there who can see better than I can, who are wise, people who can see better than I can, who are fools. And he's not talking about having physical eyes in your head because that does not make you wise or unwise. There's people without eyes who are far wiser than a lot of people who have had eyes uh, throughout this lifetime. But he's not talking about having just having eyes, he's talking about taking advantage of them, of using them. The wise person is the person who looks ahead, the person who thinks first before he responds, before, well, when he's being taken advantage of, he thinks first before he responds. It's the person who reasons whether this is a good decision or a bad decision before taking the step to make the right decision. Whether it's a purchase, or whether it's an employment opportunity, or whether it's how I engage in a conversation with somebody, the wise person thinks first, the wise person reasons in his mind, what is the better choice? The wise person is the person who sees the danger, he sees the trouble, and he says, I'm going to avoid that. I don't want to take that path. He's the person who, makes, who is good at managing the affairs in his life. It might be a business, it might be the family that he's a part of, that he might be leading, but the fact is, he's thinking, he's using his brain, he's not uh, just making out like the, the fool man, the foolish man who does the kind of the exact opposite. That guy makes the rash decisions. He doesn't, he doesn't look to think, what could this, the outcome of this possibly mean for me, or what could it mean for other people? He just kind of on a whim, just chooses to do this or chooses to do that. He doesn't stop to consider what are the consequences. He runs his household and his business poorly. You see two different people. And you would hope, you would think, man, you got two different people. This person's excelling in everything in life. This person acts like he doesn't care about anything. But Solomon says, they have the same fate. 
What advantage of there is there in this being wise, or what advantage is there of this being a fool? The same fate that was common back then for the wise and the foolish is the same fate that was common now for the wise and for the foolish. The wise person. Uh, you know, I think a lot of everybody in here would like to say, I fit in that category. And I, I don't look at you and say, boy, you're wise and you're foolish. I, I think you guys are all here today. You're showing that you want to learn something about God's word. And I think that's a sign of wisdom. You know, the world's going to look at wisdom a little bit differently. The world's going to say, that's the doctor that's wise. That's the, the, um, the philosopher. That's the lawyer. And the world gets excited and says, wow, those people are the ones that are very impressive by what they do. And they're the ones that use their brains to the max potential. But everybody has the potential to be wise in a certain sense, to, to make good choices, to look at the outcome of what's coming down the road and saying, I don't want to do that, and say, I'm going to plan ahead for my future. But there's, there's more that I want to kind of include into this lumping of wisdom, because the world gets excited about the, the intellectual, but there's also other things the world gets excited about. The athletic. I don't know if anybody here knows the name Mike Trout. He, he's a baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels, and I keep hearing that he's, he's possibly the best play, baseball player of all time. Like Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, all those kinds of people, they don't compare to this guy named uh, Mike Trout. There's the rich people. There's the people who have billions and billions of dollars behind their name. There's the people who uh, always make it on the front of the magazines. They're the beautiful ones. They're the ones that are always the star of all the motion pictures. They're considered wise. And Solomon was wise. You say they have the same outcome as a person who is not wise. The foolish person, the guy that, you know, that all he wants to do is party. I don't want to bring up this guy's name because I don't, I don't really feel like it, but there's this guy who is coated to be like the next great quarterback for the Cleveland Browns a couple years ago. And he was supposed to lead them to championships. He was supposed to be super great. And what did that guy want to do? I think he played one year of football, and then all he wanted to do the rest of his life was just party. And he's a young guy. He was, he was skilled. He was drafted in, from college, expected with high expectations. But he says, you know what? I would rather party. And so you say, you look at that and say, that's a very foolish waste of life. That's a very foolish decision. Uh, there's the, the foolish people, the guys who drive recklessly through the streets. They have no thought to cares of people walking by. It's just whatever feels like it's an excitement at the moment. They say, that's what I want to do. The guy who rushes headlong into bad situations. He doesn't stop to consider what could this possibly lead to. He doesn't talk to people and say, what might be a better outcome or what's a better choice to make? He just says, that looks good for, for my life right now, and that's what I'm going to go and do it. So wherever you find yourself in life, whether you find yourself at one end of life where you have more years behind you than in front of you, or you, you find you have hopefully lots of years ahead of you, or whether you find yourself as the life of the party, or the person who never gets invited to the party, whether you find yourself as the person who takes the calculated risk, because there's a lot of wise people who take calculated risk, and they benefit from that, or you're the person who doesn't think before he speaks, the person who doesn't think before he invests his money, or whether you, you win the most beautiful baby contest, or whether you, be, you win the, the ugly baby contest, right? There's a common fate that we all have that we all share, we can all put us in the same boat. Maybe you can separate us for athletic, 
You can separate us for our finances, for our talents, but you all put us in the same boat. We all have the same fate, that we all pass away. It's been that way ever since the beginning of creation, with the exception of two people that we know of from Scripture. You have Enoch. He walked with God for 300 years, and God took him, and he was no more. You had this guy by the name of Elijah, who was, who was walking with Elisha. He got taken up in a chariot of fire. Nobody else in all of Scripture, nobody else that we know in all of history, has had a pass to heaven without, without dying first. The Scripture even talks about how it's appointed to man once to die, and that's to face judgment. It's not always a fun thought to think of, of all passing away, especially as somebody that was unexpected, somebody that we love, somebody that we knew. It's hard enough to know that the world out there has that experience, but we all have to remember that we are going to experience that as well. The common faith for all of us is that everybody's going to pass away. Solomon, he starts to think about, I lived my life as a wise man. This person lived his life as a fool. Verse 15 says, And I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise men, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So that's the first common faith that we all experience. I know that is nothing new, but it is a good reminder for me, at least to remember that this life is temporary. There is not, uh, is not going to last forever. The second thing that uh, Solomon points out is that all pass away. All, or I'm sorry, that's the first one. All pass away. The second thing is all possessions stay. Verses 17 to 23. He says, So I hated life because the work that I had done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them for the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he's going to be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skills under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then he must leave it to someone who leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get from all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not find rest. This too is meaningless. Solomon starts to think, my life is getting closer, my, it's coming to an end. Solomon knows that what he has is not going to go with him. Now, not everybody believes that. Um, I don't know uh, how, many, how many times I've heard jokes about people with possessions and they get buried with their motorcycle. And I don't know why they do that. Because that motorcycle is going to stay there. People get, when Leslie's grandpa passed away, uh, we, her mom, and I... I this is not my style, but she, she wanted to put a, a guitar pick in his hand because he was good at playing the guitar. When I die, if I happen to die while I live here, I want you guys all to remember something, and I want you to hold Leslie to this, okay? When I die, I want the cheapest casket that you can put me in. I want to wear nothing but, <laughs> nothing but a loincloth. Unless I'm going to have an open casket, then you can cover me with a blanket. But before you shut the casket, close your eyes and pull it off. 
because it's not going with me. There is no point to putting all that there. It is not going to go with me. You know, the uh, Egyptians, I, I did a, just a tiny little research, and I found out that they, they, have, they have all sorts of things buried with them when they died, when they pyramids. They would have their servants buried with them. They would have their organs in a jar buried with them. They would have gold buried with them. They would have uh, anything, clothing. They would have all sorts of things buried with them. Is that because they were stingy and they didn't want their kids to have it? No. They put those things in there because they thought, I'm going to need this later. In the next life, I'm going to want servants, so I'm taking servants with me when I die. I'm going to want my cat. I'm going to want the gold. I'm going to want my clothes. Whatever it is, I'm putting this in, the, in this pyramid with me so that when I die, I can take it with me. You know what they find when they open up pyramids? What's that? Everything. Whatever they happen to leave, the, the, the thieves, they go bust into the pyramids because they know that stuff is still there. They're, they're going there expecting everything that was left to be left. And they get rewarded because it is all there. Solomon, he knows that what he, when he dies, nothing is going to go with him. He knows that all his possessions stay behind. He's a wise person. I told you he written over, wrote 3,000 Proverbs. He, he didn't conjure up just these random sayings that nobody can understand. He understands what they say. He understands how to apply them to life. And all of the possessions that he has acquired for himself. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. I want to read through the, some of these things that he has acquired for himself that all of a sudden he's realizing, wait a second, these things are not going with me. Someone else is going to get to enjoy them. He says, I undertook great project. I built great houses for myself. All those are going to stay. He's planted vineyards. All that fruit that they're going to produce, I don't get to enjoy those. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves and the flourishing trees. I had male and female slaves and other slaves who were born into their house. Those people aren't coming with me. I don't get to hang on to them. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harm as well, the delights of the hearts of man. Everything that I could possess, I possessed. And I, I want to go back to last week. Uh, I did, uh, it's, it's tough for a, a preacher to uh, say that he didn't quite do all his homework, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Uh, harem, uh, I, I take it as that was all the women that he had. And it could possibly mean that all his wives, his 700 wives, his 300 concubines. But it also could refer to musical instruments. And so he could have literally had a band. He could have had his singers, but he could have also had possess, uh, acquired all these musical instruments uh, pe for people to play so that he could have whatever kind of music at whatever time he wanted to hear it. But he has everything that he could desire, and he's realizing these things are not going to go with them. He's wise, he's acquired, he's invested, and then he says, well, what's the deal? I'm going to have to leave this for somebody. Whether, I don't know if he's going to be a, a foolish man or if he's going to be a wise man, but he's going to get everything that I have. And if you know anything about his son, his son Rehoboam, he wasn't king very long before he promptly divided the kingdom. Uh, he had, there was 12 tribes, and he lost 83% of the, the tribes. He lost 10 out of the 12, right off the bat, because he decided not to be a wise king. Uh, Solomon, he had lots of gold. He got a lot of that from taxing his people. And when Solomon died, the, the people came to Solomon and said, hey, or to Rehoboam, could you please lessen your, the taxes that your dad placed on us? And Rehoboam, and he sought counsel. He sought the older men's counsel, and they said, you know what? If you do that, 
they're going to love you for it. You know, re reduce the taxes that they're paying, and you're going to have people who are going to be subject to you for a long time. He says, okay, that sounds, I don't really like that idea. So he went and talked to his friends and said, what do you think? And they said, oh, you think you're, you, you tell those people that you think he's, he's taxed you a little bit. I'm going to make it harder. And all the people said, you know what, we don't want any part of this, and we're going to divide the kingdom, and we're going to follow another guy by the name of Jeroboam. And that's where you get the split of the northern and southern kingdoms that have never been uh, united ever since. It's a very sad point in history. Rehoboam was not a wise king. He made a very selfish, stupid decision, and it cost him his kingdom ultimately. And you can read about it in 1 Kings 14. Uh, let me just see, just kind of the end of his life, what, what's, what's recorded about him in 1 Kings chapter 14. And, and Solomon didn't know this. Was his son going to be wise? He didn't know. Was his son going to be a fool? He didn't know. He just knew that whatever he had, he couldn't take it with him. It was going to be left for everybody else. First uh, Kings chapter 14, verse 21, it says, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, in which he put his name. Verse 22, Jude, uh, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord by sinning, by their sins committed, by the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than their fathers had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and astral poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. All these people under Solomon's leadership, I mean, uh, Rehoboam's leadership, they were making very bad decisions. Solomon had no idea. All he knew that whatever he acquired was going to stay. Everything that he possessed, that he worked for, that he enjoyed, wasn't going to last. And the sad thing today is exactly the same. Everything that I have when I die is not going to last. My kids are, are happy about that. Not that they're going to get a lot when I die, but they're glad that my Honda Pilot doesn't go with me if it happens to be around. You know, the things that they say that I could take would be my ties. They say, Dad, you want to take the ties? Go ahead. You leave your money, you leave your cars, you leave your switch, whatever those kinds of things are, you take those with you, but we, uh, we don't mind, we want, we want to keep the rest of it. You know, there's uh, a guy by the name of Paul Allen who used to own this, the Seattle Seahawks. Did you know that? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I figured Scott would just because of the football connection. But um, anyway, this guy died October uh, 2018, and he was worth $20.3 billion when he died. You know, they could have took all that money and crammed it in his pocket. They could have put it all, lined them all around his, his casket, but it would still be there today because he could not take it with him. How much money that he had, whatever possessions that he has, it's a very sad truth, it is not going to go with him. That doesn't mean you have to not plan for the future. It doesn't mean you can't plan for your kids uh, for when you are gone. Uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 13 uh, verse 22, I think the kids, if they're paying attention, are going to love this verse more than anybody. Proverbs 13:22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. It's good to leave an inheritance for your kids. And I, I imagine that a lot of you parents, a lot of you grandparents are, are thinking ahead and saying, You know what? After I die, I want to leave my kids something that's going to help them to excel. I want them to succeed and so I'm going to try to leave something for them. Uh, my, my dad told me when he dies, um, I get books. I get his, some of his study books, and I get some of his tools. 
And that's, I'm hoping for more than that. <laughs> but I got to divide it up with my, my brother at least because we're the oldest. But it's like, it's, it's good to bring things, you know, pass them on to your kids. But whatever we have, we're not going to get to keep. The, the best that he says you can hope for is kind of to enjoy what you have while you have it. Now, what's the difference between Solomon hoarding up all this stuff and saying, I'm not going to get to keep any of it, and now me saying, you know what, it's good to leave something for your kids. Well, the difference, I think, is that Solomon was trying to find purpose. He was trying to find meaning. He was trying to find satisfaction in all the possessions that he had and that he was acquiring for himself. And he got to the point where, wait a second, this isn't going to matter when I'm gone. The person who says, you know what, I love my kids and I want to store up something for them is... is completely opposite because he says, I know this stuff isn't staying. I know this isn't going to fulfill me. I know this isn't going to last in my lifetime. It's, it's for the benefit of others. Solomon was all about himself, and he was all about finding purpose and meaning in that. If you store up something for your kids or for your grandkids, it's something that's different. It's something that's more for them. It's not finding purpose in that yourself. So common fate number one is that we are all going to pass away. Common fate number two is that all our possessions are going to stay. Now, I don't know about how that sounds to you, but that sounds pretty glum. Right? It sounds, sounds pretty depressing. That great, I've got to look forward to death. I've got to look forward to all these things going to my kids. I hope that he's responsible. I hope he takes care of these things. Uh, it, it sounds like a pretty sad life that Solomon is experiencing at this point. What's the point of life? Why worth living? Verse, verse 24 to 26 we find it an uncommon goal that Solomon discovered and that he was going to shoot for. Uh, verse 24 to 26. And that goal is to please God. It says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now the common, uh, before we get to the, com the uncommon goal, I want to refresh the common goal, which I think everybody really knows. Um, the way Solomon put it in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. That's the world's common goal is I, if I want it, I'm going to buy it. If it's going to make me happy, I'm going to acquire it. If I'm going to join that activity because I, I find purpose there, I find meaning there, whatever it is that I think is going to make me happy, the world says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get it. Right? Anybody, no one can argue with that. I think everybody, and sometimes I find myself in that boat too. I think buying something is going to make me happy, and so I do that. And I realize, you know what, I'm still not happy. I'm still not satisfied because that was never meant to be my purpose. That was never meant to be my goal. But that's the way the world sees it. The world's view, a lot of times, is to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I'm just going to, whatever today has, pleasure-wise, I'm just going to pursue it. Good pleasures, bad pleasures, it doesn't matter. This is what my life is. I, I just have to make it through this day. I've got to make it through this week. And so we're just trying to be happy with it. That's, that's the common goal. The uncommon goal that... Uh, Solomon had was to please God. It's to be do what's good in God's sight. It's that simple. It, it, it sounds simple. It's not really that simple. God has a very high standard. There's a lot that God asks us to do that feels like it's difficult to do. You know, uh, you know that's just, just everyday ordinary life situations can be difficult. 
Uh, has anybody here ever got a uh, get sent to the collections for a bill that you didn't even know you had? How easy is that to respond at, to, uh, to please God in that situation? We experienced that this week. Wait a second, we got sent to collections and we didn't even know we had this bill we thought our insurance took care of? It's hard to respond in a way that's going to please God. Whenever you ever get uh, cut off in traffic, you almost get in a, uh, a, a wreck because of that. That's a tough time to try to please God. And then you have the things that God's listed as in the scripture that you hear, you read in the Bible on your own, you read it, hear it from me, you hear it from some guy on the radio, saying these are the things that God asks us to do. It's a tough thing to try to please God. It's a tough thing to try to do what God says is the right thing in this situation. But that's what Solomon is understanding. That's what he's deciding is what really matters, is to try to please God. And it's a very uncommon goal. The common goal is to please me. What's going to make me happy is so much easier to, to, to shoot for that because I feel like my void is going to be met. Trying to please God, I don't know if that's really going to be there. I don't know. If, I, I just, it's, just, it's a lot harder than it is to try to please myself, but it's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that's going to bring true peace and true happiness. Solomon concluded, and at the end of Ecclesiastes, verses 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, he says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. That's what our purpose is. That's what our point is. That's why we're here. That's what's going to bring our life meaning, is to fear God and to keep his commands. Not the fear that says, boy, I'm afraid of getting uh, tortured by a guard who just enjoys torturing me. But it's the kind of fear that a child has for his parents, that I don't want to let God down. I don't want to let my parents down. I do not want to hurt them. I want to make them proud. I want to make them happy. That's the kind of fear that we're supposed to have for God, is I, I, I appreciate what he's done for me. I want to try to make him happy. I want to try to please him. That's what Solomon has discovered. You fear God. You, do, you say no to what I'm not supposed to do, and I'm going to try to please God and do yes to what God has asked me to do. This world likes to be different. You know, each of us is different as we are. We have different ages. We have different abilities. We have different talents. We have different uh, financial situations. We have different talents. We have different desires. But we all have a common goal in this, or a common fate in this room. The world out there with completely different goals, with, uh, with completely different desires and ambitions and talents and abilities, they have the same common fate as we have in here. And that's the, the two that we looked at today, is that they're going to pass away. They're, they're going to pass away, and they're going to, to meet Jesus. Everybody in here is going to pass away. We are all going to meet Jesus. Everything that we have, that we have acquired for ourselves, even the food in my fridge, is going to stay. Everything that they have acquired out there is going to stay as well. The one thing that you and I should have in common, that we don't have in common with the outside world, is that it is our goal to try to please God. I please Him with my mouth. I please Him with my thought life. I please Him with my responses to situations. I, I please Him with my obedience to what He's asking me to do. We should have this in common with, with having the other things in common. We have common faith. We have a common uh, that our, our possessions stay, but we should all have in common that we are trying to please God. You know, and the only place to start with that is with Jesus. You know, if, if you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, there's absolutely nothing that you can do that's going to please Jesus. 
God is not interested in all the good works that you can do. It doesn't matter what anybody would say about you when you passed away. They could have a whole line of people coming up here and talking for hours about how good Josh was and how helpful he was and how much he gave and how nice he was. God's not interested in that unless you have put your faith in him for salvation. We all have that in common. And I know it can be a scary thing if you're sitting there and you're like, I really don't know Jesus. Everybody thinks I do. You know, we all have in common, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm a big sinner. We all have in common that because we sin, we cannot get to heaven. Romans 6.23. But we all have in common that God loves us enough that he died on the cross to take our punishment for us so that we can have eternal life. And we all have in common the one thing that it takes to get to heaven. And that's faith in Jesus for salvation and not relying on anything else of our own to get there. And if you're here, you have that common need that I had, that I needed Jesus as my Savior. And you, you need to, to stop and really consider this common fate is going to be a part of everybody's life. We are all going to die. Like almost 100% of every single person who has ever lived has died. If Jesus comes back, it's almost as if you died, you get a new body, and you, you have no more chances. When you die, your, your life is done. When Jesus comes back and takes us home, if we happen to be raptured, our life is done from that point. There's no time to change anything from that point. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have the common need that we do, uh, that you need to trust Him as your Savior. But if you say, I know Jesus as my Savior, I can tell you the exact day, I can tell you the exact hour, I can tell you the person who led me to the Lord, you have, you have the common goal that I have, the common goal that each person in this room has, or should have, and that's to please the Lord. And how do we do that? We fear God, and we keep His commandments. I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to come up here and stand. If you say, you know what, I'd like to talk about this Jesus, I'm happy to talk about Jesus. If you say, you know what, I want to pray for somebody in that outside world who has the same common goal that I do, or the common faith that I have, and they're not going to make it to heaven unless Jesus intervenes, I'll be happy to pray with you. Um, if, if you want to pray for something else, I'll be happy to hang out up here as well. Uh, but just, please, do not leave this church. Do not leave today without having that common bond with other believers in Christ that you have your salvation found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for salvation. God, I thank you that, you know, I, I have a lot in common with a lot of people. You know, I've, I've, um, I'm a sinner that needs you as, as my Savior, God. I know that you say that everybody has sinned in the whole world, and not everybody wants to admit that, or everybody wants to believe that, God, but I know that it's true. And so, God, I just pray that if anybody is here that doesn't know he's your Savior, that they would come up and we could talk about it, or they would go home and, and go in their room and close the door and pray to you and ask you to save them. God, but please don't let anybody here not know he's your Savior. And God, for each of us who do know he's your Savior, God, I just pray that you give us boldness to share our faith with other people, because there's a... The common faith that we share with the outside world, a lot of people need to hear about you. And I pray that we have opportunity, especially over this Christmas season, to share that salvation message with them. And God, for, for us, for me, God, I just pray that you would help us to please you, make that our goal, to please you in everything we do and say. That we would fear you and that we would keep your commandments. And I just pray for your help to do this and excel at this. In Jesus' name.